Would you join with me in a word of prayer? Father, we thank you for your grace, your goodness. Lord, we thank you so much that uh, we have the freedom to come to worship you, to celebrate your presence. Father, uh, and as we approach Christmas, Lord, the celebration of your birth, the incarnation, Lord, I just, just pray that, um, that all that we do would honor you. Father, I pray that you'd help me communicate today the message that you put on my heart so that your church, each person here, would be edified and built up. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Well, we've been speaking on uh, uh, the idea of the series Thanksgiving and looking at how uh, generosity and gratitude are really linked together. Giving as well as uh, being thankful uh, are are, are uniquely uh, connected. Gratitude positions us. When we live a life of gratitude, it positions us to receive from God and others. Kind of puts you in the right place at the right time in a spiritual sense uh, when you have a heart that's filled with gratitude. Generosity by giving actually generates gratitude. It generates gratitude in the people that you give, but it also generates gratitude in yourself. When you live a lifestyle that's generous, you're you're actually more grateful for all that God has given you. causes you, uh, it compels you to be in the right state of mind. And our goal as a church uh, uh, in this series, when I'm calling attention to this, is that we would actually become a church that's uh, 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 fully operating and functioning in koinonia. Uh, Koinonia is a Greek word that's most often translated fellowship throughout throughout the New Testament. And we think of it, sometimes people think of that lightly as just all coffee and donuts. You know, we have fellowship in the family room after service. But a fellowship really is more than that. It's the word that kind of describes the relationship uh, that we have with one another as the body of Christ. And the word fellowship really has three essential aspects to the meaning. One is participation, that you're a part. You're, you're part of the community. It's your part that you play that no one else can play. And so we want a 100% participation. We don't want you just to come and sit on Sunday morning, although you're welcome to do that. But you're invited to come and be a full participant. And intimacy, the other aspect of koinonia is that, you know, there really is relationship and communion uh, where you go deep. I like the word, I think the word uh, fellowship should often be translated friendship, where there's, there's a developing of a relationship. You're committed to becoming uh, friends with one another and opening up. And that's, that's the area of love. Uh, um, and then the final aspect is contribution, that you actually have something to share. And that literally means, the word koinonia talks about, and can be used as a collection. You know, donating financial uh, 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 offerings or contributing material goods for the good of the whole. Um, and that's not just donating money ad hoc, you know, just giving to the Red Cross or whatever. All those things are good. But as part of koinonia, it's, it's donating a portion, proportionately of your income, in order for the good of the spiritual community. And so all three of these things produce biblical koinonia. And our goal is that everyone is 100% participating and benefiting from all three. Well, this week, you know, I've been talking about general principles of giving this week I want to talk about the tithe, uh, and a lot of people um, uh, have a lot of misunderstanding, limited understanding about what the tithe is. Um, many people just practice tithing uh, because they were, they were taught it and they're doing it obediently. 
But I want to delve a little deeper and give you a bit of a more biblical understanding of what the tithe is from a New Testament perspective. Um, and I hope it blesses you. <laughs> We're going to read, uh, you know, one of the principles, um, I, don't, I don't teach on money hardly ever. If you've been here for very long, it's probably the first time you've heard of me teach on money because I think it is. Uh, I just don't, I don't get around to it much. I'm actually hoping to teach on financial issues more often. <clears throat> it's not that I'm uncomfortable speaking about it, uh, although I might be a little bit. <laughs> it's just because I like all the other stuff better. You know, some people are really called and anointed to teach on these principles, but um, uh, I'm like, I like, I like some of the other stuff better. And, and so, uh, out of obedience, I'm sharing this. Um, but the, one of the ways that you can understand something in the Bible. Uh, one of the one of the ways to get it doesn't it doesn't it isn't always significant, but it often is, is to look at the first time something is mentioned in Scripture. So the principle of first mention. So you find where in the Bible, like baptism or prophecy or you know uh, any particular subject that you may want to study, where is the first time it's mentioned? And there's usually a revelation connected to it that the rest of the understanding of biblical uh, teaching on that topic then builds from that. And so the first place the tithe is mentioned in the Scripture is Genesis 14, 18 through 20. We're just going to read that and, and, and start there. It says, um, well, let me just uh, give you the introduction of the story. What was happening was Abraham had just went to battle against a number of kings that had arrayed themselves against uh, Abraham, and they were doing something that was unjust. And so he, he went and, and took his men and actually defeated an army that was uh, uh, made up of a, of a combination of other uh, um, uh, groups. And so he, he, was, he just won a great battle, and they had uh, gotten uh, quite a bit of loot, which was appropriate at the time when you won a battle, you took all the enemy's stuff. And so he was coming back loaded, and all his armed men were, were loaded with, with booty and uh, uh, provisions, as well as um, all those that he had rescued. And, um, and so he's coming back, and as he's coming, going back to his home, it says, Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was the high priest of God Most High. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And he, Abraham, gave him a tithe of all. So the first time that we see tithing mentioned in the Bible is Abraham giving this individual called Melchizedek, who in Scripture is called the priest of God Most High. He'd never been mentioned before, and he's never mentioned again in the Old Testament. He's referred to once in one of the Psalms. And we don't really gain a theological understanding of him until the New Testament. But here's this individual, Melchizedek, that Abraham um, not only received a blessing from, but gave him a tithe. Uh, one thing that's very interesting to know is that this happened, Abraham lived, and this occurrence happened about 430 years before Moses and the giving of the law. All right? So the, this institution or tithing as an act was practiced long before the Mosaic Law. One of the big uh, arguments or, or issues that some people have as Christians about tithing is, oh, that's part of the Old Testament. That's part of the Old Covenant. 
And do we really have to do that anymore? And doesn't that, isn't that like animal sacrifice or something that is no longer required? Well, I want to give you a biblical understanding that it wasn't, it was, it pre-existed the Mosaic Law. Uh, in fact, it was an essential part of Abraham's uh, uh, life and that he tithed till Melchizedek. And we're going to dive into this individual called Melchizedek as we turn to the New Testament and see what the, what the fulfillment of this is. Uh, and the book of Hebrews, uh, we're going to turn to Hebrews chapter 5, verse 5 and 6. The book of Hebrews is specifically written to Hebrews. That's why it's called Hebrews. <laughs> all right? And the Hebrews were the Jews. Okay? Hebrews are all the people that speak Hebrew, which was the, the nation of Israel and, and Jewish people in general. And so the book of Hebrews, the theme of the book of Hebrews is to help uh, the people who were uh, uh, Jews or practicing Judaism to understand how the Old Covenant and the New Covenant uh, are interrelated, how they work together. It's the primary purpose. And so it gives us an understanding of how to understand the Old Testament and how to live in the New Testament uh, in fulfillment of everything in the Old Testament. But this little, this part that we're going to zoom in on is the part that talks about tithing. Um, because tithing was a huge practice in the Jewish covenant and in the Old Testament. It was absolutely required. So it was built into the structure of their, of their society. It wasn't, you know, uh, it was, everyone knew about tithing. Every per- person that lived in the nation from the childhood, it was just, it was an integral part of, of societal life. And so it is addressed very clearly in the New Testament. And a lot of people don't think it is because they haven't read their Bibles thoroughly. <laughs> uh, but it is. <clears throat> so we're going to zoom in on where it is. This is the best passage, I think, in the New Testament that addresses it. So let's read it. Uh, Hebrews 5, 5 and 6 says, So also Christ did not glorify himself to become high priest, but it was he who said to him, and it was God spoke to him, You are my beloved son. Today I have begotten you. And he also says in another place, another, there's another prophecy that the, um, the, the all caps are, are quotations from the Old Testament. And in another place, You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. And so there's two prophetic words in the Old Testament concerning the Messiah. You are a son. Today I have begotten you. And you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Jesus is the high priest, not by law, but because he's a son. Right? Uh, the Levitical priesthood was, uh, was established through the Mosaic law. And so all of the sons of Aaron, the tribe of Levi, were priests uh, automatically. They were the priestly uh, tribe, and so they function as priests. But Christ comes... Uh, and is a priest not according to the Levitical, uh, because he wasn't a Levi, but for another reason, because he was a son. He was a son of God, and that's what it's declared. This is in Psalm 110. And, and if you remember, when Jesus was baptized, he came out of the water, and what did God say? Behold, yeah, this is my son, my beloved son, in whom I'm well pleased. And so it was, it, God spoke it audibly uh, at his baptism. Uh, Hebrews 7, we're going to jump down a little bit, and it goes into more detail. 7, 1 through 22. Um, let me just read the first three verses, talk about it, and then we'll read the rest of it and talk about it a little bit. So this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God. So here in Hebrews, 
The writer of Hebrews is going into depth as to who Melchizedek was and what he represents and what the fulfillment of uh, his role is in as New Testament believers, how we as New Testament believers are to understand Melchizedek. It says, For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth. By the way, tithe literally just means one-tenth, ten percent. Um, gave a tenth part of all, first being translated king of righteousness. This is first being translated is referring to his name. Uh, and then also king of Salem, meaning king of peace. Without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the Son of God, remains a priest continually. So that last verse, without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning or end, he's describing this person, Melchizedek. All right? That this person didn't have a father or mother, had no genealogy, didn't have a beginning of days or end of life, was made like the Son of God, remains a priest continually. So Melchizedek is a type, the word in theology is a type, and the fulfillment is the antitype, or, or a picture, it's a picture in the Old Testament of the Messiah. Listen to this, I looked up in a, a reference book, and the word itself, Melchizedek, his name, the definition of, uh, the literal definition of the name means the justifier of those who dwell in him. The justifier of those who dwell in him. What does that sound like? Jesus, that when you're in Christ, you're justified, right? That was the name. That's what Melchizedek's name meant in a literal sense. He's, he's called the Prince of Salem. Salem was actually, uh, most scholars believe it was Jerusalem. Before they called it Jerusalem, it was just called Salem. Uh, and, and Salem means peace. So he's the king of righteousness, king of peace. Both are terms that are uh, referred to the Messiah. He's a prophetic picture of the Messiah. Well, what is this? Without father, without je- mother or genealogy, made like the Son of God, and remains a priest forever. <clears throat> There's two ways you can understand this. One, you can say, we have no record of his mother or father. We have no record of his genealogy. Right? Now, the reason that's so important is that every priest, in fact, every person in the nation of Israel knew their genealogy. They had to in order to prove that they were part of the people of God. It was all built on genealogy. If you couldn't prove your genealogy, you could never serve as a priest or in any official capacity. So genealogy, that's the list of your ancestors going all the way back, uh, determine everything about your life. But here we have no record of it. And he shows up as a priest of the Most High. Well, how dare he? <laughs> He's a mysterious figure in the Bible because who is this guy? You know, everything, that, all, everything about our faith is based on the revelation given to Abraham. Right? But guess what? There were other people worshiping the real God, the true God. And here we have an example of of Melchizedek, who is worshiping God Most High, and came and blessed Abraham. And so whether it was literally, uh, now see if it was, if it means just a figurative sense, if it's figuratively just representing these characteristics of Jesus Christ, and that he is the Son of God, 
that he is an eternal being, um, you know, all of those things were fulfilled in Jesus Christ. He existed before the incarnation, before he came in Mary. He existed eternally. He didn't have a mother or father. Jesus existed eternally. He came down and took bodily form in the incarnation. Um, so if it's, if it's just a figurative reference to the characteristics of Christ, that's one way to understand it. Another way to understand it is it may literally have been an appearance of Christ in the Old Testament, which is called a theophany. And many times throughout the Old Testament, there are appearances of God. Every one of those is the person, Jesus Christ. Right? The burning bush is a theophany. Right? Usually theophany is referred to when God shows up in, a, in the form of a person, like, the, like the, the one who came to Abraham. He had a couple of angels with him. But that was God talking to Abraham, taking the form of a, a human. And so we don't know if Melchizedek was literally a theophany, a, a Jesus actually in the Old Testament, choosing to do so to, to represent some truth so that we could understand these things later on. Or he's just uh, explained that way so that we can understand the importance of it. Does that make sense? Literal, literal or figurative, they both have the same message. Let's continue. Verse 4. Um, now consider how great this man was, to whom even the patriarch Abraham gave a tenth of the spoils. And indeed, those who are... I'm going to read a long portion, then we'll talk about it. So just follow along, will you? Uh, verse uh, uh, 5. And indeed, those who are sons of Levi, who receive the priesthood, have a commandment to receive tithes from the people according to the law, that is, from their brethren, though they have come from the loins of Abraham, their descendants of Abraham. Verse 6, But he whose genealogy is not derived from them received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. Now, be all contradictions, the lesser is blessed by the better. Here, mortal men receive tithes. But there he received them, of whom it is witnessed that he lives. Even Levi, who receives tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, so to speak. For he was still in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. Therefore, if perfection were through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need was there that another priest should arise according to the order of Melchizedek? and not be called according to the order of Aaron. For the priesthood changed. Of necessity, there is also a change of the law. For he of whom these things are spoken belong to another tribe from which no man has officiated at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord arose from Judah. He's not a Levite. He's from, from Judah. Of which tribe Moses spoke nothing concerning priesthood. And it is yet far more evident in the likeness of Melchizedek, there arises another priest. He uh, who has come, not according to the law of a fleshly commandment, but according to the power of an endless life. For he testifies, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. So he's saying, folks, this is the fulfillment of an Old Testament prophecy. That Jesus was going to be a priest, not according to Levi, but according to Melchizedek. A different order. For on the one hand, there is a nulling of the former commandment because of its weakness and unprofitability. 
unprofitableness. For the law made nothing perfect. On the other hand, there is a bringing in of a better hope through which we draw near to God. And inasmuch as he was not made priest without an oath, for they have become priests without an oath. Levites are priests when they're born, automatically. But Jesus became a priest because of the oath that God spoke over him. But he with an oath by him who said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not relent. You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. By so much more, Jesus has become a surety of a better covenant. Now let me try to unpack this a little bit so we can understand it and how, to, how it applies to our lives. All right, the primary purpose of this, of this passage is to establish that Christ represents or Christ uh, establishes that Christ replaces the Levitical priesthood and brings a new covenant. And so this Levitical priesthood that has, had existed for literally thousands of years, that the whole nation of Israel and, and all of Jewish people uh, and, uh, were so accustomed to, this is a radical idea that that was being replaced by a new priesthood um, and, in, and a new covenant. It also directly addresses in this context the practice of tithing, which was integral, an integral part of the Old Testament. Right? And we see a relationship between Abraham and Melchizedek. Right? Tithing is about relationship. That's the one thing I want you to understand. Right? When you understand this, everything else about tithing makes sense. It's how you understand it from God's point of view. It's how it was always meant to be understood. Right? Under the law, as well as in the New Testament, it's about relationship. Okay? Tithing is... And we see a relationship established between Abraham and Melchizedek. Now, who does Melchizedek represent? Jesus Christ. Right? He's established pretty clearly that Melchizedek is a Christ figure in the Old Testament. In fact, to the point that we don't even know it may have actually been Jesus Christ uh, coming in and appearing in, uh, to Abraham literally. We, we know it represents Christ. What we don't know is whether it was literal or figurative. That's how much the Bible treats Melchizedek as a, a theophany representation of Christ. And we see that Melchizedek is greater. All right? Uh, <clears throat> and there's a relationship between uh, Melchizedek and Abraham. Uh, uh, and Melchizedek represents Christ. Therefore, uh, uh, there's a relationship between Abraham and Christ. We get a picture into how Abraham, the father of our faith, related to Jesus Christ. This verse is all about relationship and showing how Abraham, the father of, 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 of the nation of Israel, related to the, the, the high priest. And the high priest is really Jesus Christ. Now think of it. The king of, of, of peace and the king of righteousness, whose name means justifier, brings out. What does he bring? Oh! Oh! He brings bread and wine. Gosh! Kind of similar, isn't it? Never happened anywhere else in the Old Testament. So the king of righteousness peace. And he, Jesus says, this is the, my body. This is my blood. And he also blesses Abraham. He brings a blessing that comes through covenant relationship with him established 
through the body and the blood. Wow. Right? And the response of Abraham was the tithe. Okay? Abraham tithed to this Melchizedek. Abraham tithed then to Jesus. Abraham tithed to Jesus. All right? And through Abraham, all of Levitical, all of the priests. It mentions that right there. And so all the way through the law, the, the era of the law, they were actually tithing to Jesus Christ because Levi was in Abraham. Because all the tithes received by Levi were actually received. They were intermediaries to Christ, and they tithed to Christ. <clears throat> it goes on in the verse 8. It says, Here mortal men receive tithe. Um, here mortal men receives tithes, but there he receives them, of whom it is witness that he lives. And the idea here, the whole emphasis on the fact that he lives is saying, listen, because Melchizedek, why was he a priest? He was a priest because he, he lived forever, established by his, 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 his he was living a, a, a resurrection life in that sense. And Christ is established because he rose from the dead. It's actually a reference to the resurrection that because he will die no longer, he lives as a priest that will, uh, for us to continually practice as a priest for you uh, to establish your relationship with God Almighty through Christ. Um, <clears throat> it goes, uh, here mortal men receives tithes, but there he receives them, of whom it is witness that he lives. It's one of the most clear teachings, this part, portion in the New Testament about tithing. Here, in this verse, refers to uh, the Mosaic Law and tithing to Levite. Right? There, in that, in that text, refers to Abraham uh, and uh, his relationship with Melchizedek. Does that make sense? When he was writing, when, when the book of Hebrews was writing, Levites were still collecting tithes. Right? So he says, here, the Mosaic Law, and it's talking about tithing to the Levite. There, this is reference to Abraham's interaction with Melchizedek, Abraham tithing to Jesus. The question now is, where are we now? Where are you? Here or there? Here or there? There. You're not here. Somehow, I, I sound like the comedian Stephen Wright all of, all of a sudden. <laughs> You're not here. You're there. <laughs> all right? Because here is under the law. Are we under the law? No. So we don't tithe the, the Levites. Don't give your tithe to the synagogue or to the, the, uh, the Jewish uh, congregation over there at Stadium Drive. <laughs> you don't have to do that. All right? You're in Christ. And so you do what Abraham did, which is there. He tithed to Melchizedek, which is Jesus. So the thing that has changed is not if you tithe, but who you tithe to. Right? It's the whole point of this passage. Now, if you want to cut this chapter out of your Bible, you can do that. But then you've got to answer to God. I realize this actually takes a little thought to kind of work through, you know, you gotta, and I'm trying to walk it, walk you through that, but it, it is, it is uh, the New Testament explanation for the Hebrews and also for those Gentiles who come into relationship with God 
that of how we integrate this practice that was that was so fundamental to Hebrew life in the new covenant. And and this is telling us that this is extremely significant because it reveals relationship. It, just as it did reveal the relationship between Abraham and Melchizedek, it reveals relationship. All right? We are now in Christ. And like Abraham, we're the tithe to Christ. Uh, this is a revolutionary thought. Now, you might be thinking, well, that sounds kind of academic. And, boy, he's explaining a lot. And it sounds like he's kind of pulling. Listen, the people who read this when it was written, a Jewish a rabbi would have, would, have, would have sought to kill the writer of Hebrews for writing this. And they did, you know, often. Are you, are you getting, getting it? A normal, regular, law-abiding Jewish person, if he read this, would have and, and not had and was not a Christian, had not encountered Christ, would have stood up and would have yelled and said, "This is blasphemy!" If his son or daughter came in and said, "This is this is what tithe really means," they would have they would have freaked out. Okay, this is revolutionary. It totally turned upside down the entire cultural structure of the nation of Israel. You know why? Because the kingdom of God is to go throughout the whole world. We no longer pay tithes to Levi because the kingdom of God it makes all of us kings and priests because we're in Christ. All right? And so the structure has to change because the purpose of the kingdom, what was, what was prophesied to be fulfilled in Israel had come. The Messiah had been birthed. That was the whole purpose for the nation is to bring forth the Messiah. And the Messiah, the fulfillment of all the promises to Israel had come. And now he's here to conquer the whole world. And so by, by necessity, it had to change. So it was a seismic shift. So why is this shift important? And why uh, does he go uh, and explain this? And the reason for the, the shift is because the priesthood of Christ is greater than that of Levi. Right? Jesus' priesthood is greater in every way. He's pointing out that uh, the Levitical priesthood actually tithed to, to, to Melchizedek through Abraham. But it says, uh, and, and Melchizedek blessed Abraham. And that point it says that the, the, uh, the lesser is blessed by the greater. So in order to receive a blessing, you have to receive it from something, somebody that has something that you don't have. Does that make sense? All right. So here's Abraham, who was uh, uh, the highest in the nation, in the lineage of a every Jew looked to Abraham as the founder of their, of, their, of their nation and of their faith. And they're saying, hey, Melchizedek was greater than Abraham. Wow. And he's greater than all of the priests of Levi. Wow. So Christ is greater than Levi. The law of Christ is greater than the law of Moses. And Christ is even greater than Abraham himself. All right? Yeah. He's what all of that pointed to. And just as Abraham's relationship was established with Melchizedek when he came out and received a blessing from him and received the bread and received the wine and as a response gave him a tithe, that established or that demonstrated the relationship between Abraham and, and, and Melchizedek. You could see that Abraham acknowledged Melchizedek as greater okay, by that action. So our relationship is established with Christ 
when we acknowledge Jesus as King of Peace, King of Righteousness, all right? when we receive a blessing, when we receive the bread and the wine, and through the giving of our tithe. It's about relationship. Say it out loud. It's about relationship. And relationship practice out in this way is the giving of 10% of your income. This is not just an obligation to satisfy God. Remember I said last week, God doesn't need your money. This is establishment of your relationship with God. It's a practical way to demonstrate that. All of these truths were declared by the early believers each time they gave their tithe, not to the synagogue, but to the church. All right? It's Jesus who receives our tithes. Uh, <clears throat> um, let's We come not through the law of Moses, right? We don't, uh, in a sense, give our tithe to intermediaries, to the Levites, so that they can minister to God for us. But because as sons and daughters we come to God, we come through Christ. Our relationship uh, is established uh, by faith in Christ. And so this idea that, oh, we don't have to tithe because now we come to God through Christ, like, no. It actually is all tithing always was to Christ. Right? Starting with Abraham, it was pictured in the Levite throughout the Old Covenant. And now, we no longer need the intermediaries. We go directly to Christ. When you tithe, it's a demonstration, just like Abraham. It's the response of receiving the bread and the wine and the blessing is giving. It's your part in the relationship. Just like Jesus' part was dying so that there's the, the body and bleeding so that there's blood uh, uh, that's represented in the wine. Alright, verse 18. It says, For on one hand there is an annulling of the former commandment because of its weakness and unprofitability, unprofitableness. For the law made nothing perfect. Uh, per- perfect. On the other hand, there is a bringing in of a better hope through which we draw near to God. So what is a no? The tithe? No. Okay? The Levitical priesthood that, that through which the law was, was ministered. The Mosaic law made nothing, purpose, uh, made nothing perfect. That's what's, that's what's a no. But the establishment, you understand that tithing and receiving blessing uh, was the outworking of a relationship. So what was an old was not the relationship with Christ as demonstrated by Abraham and Melchizedek, but the Levitical ordinances, which, of course, is addressed in many places in the New Testament, that those were fulfilled. And in its place, a better hope through which we draw near to God. What is the better hope? It's the relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, we, like Abraham come directly. We have direct interaction with the King of Peace, with the King of Righteousness. And we receive uh, a blessing as a return from that. And, and, and in response to that blessing, we give a tithe to, to indicate I am. this is my part in the relationship. I'm in this relationship. That's just a, a representation of this bigger relationship that I'm in. Does that make sense? We need to understand that tithe is just not an obligation to pay money, but it is, is directly tied to our relationship with Jesus Christ, what it always was meant to understand, be understood as. So how do you tithe to Jesus? 
Well, let me ask you, on earth today, what is the body of Christ? The church. The church is the body of Christ. The hands and the feet, right? And so when you give your tithes to the church, you are giving it to Christ. Doesn't this, this all works together theologically, doesn't it? It's amazing how the Bible is consistent. All right? We tithe to the church. That's why I think it's important that your tithe can't, you don't just decide, well, I think I'm going to send my tithe to Benny Hinn because, boy, he prayed for me and I got healed. Well, that's good to send money to evangelists and on missions and orphans and all that. Uh, it's essential, right? But the tithe is a particular thing that establishes relationship. It's about covenantal relationship with Christ in a, in a, uh, in a, in a, in a community uh, that's based on shared faith. It's koinonia. And so you give that to the church, to the church you worship at. And all through the Old Testament, they would actually take their tithe with them and give it to the place where they worshiped. And there was something sacred about the give that was, that was part of the act of worship. But just sending it off to some other ministry is not tithe. That's an offering. Okay? And offerings are in addition to tithe. But it's a holy thing that establishes your relationship. It's done in the place of, of where, uh, at the place where you worship. And it's an act of, of that covenant relationship that demonstrates. It's a demonstration of the relationship that you're in. All right? Um, <clears throat> let's see. I'm going to do next week. We'll, we'll pray through because that's going to be the final week on, on, this, on this series. And I just want to spend a few minutes next week. I'm out of time. I'm going to really work and factor in time to, to pray through because I really believe that if people, I don't believe in giving, uh, you know, catching up back tithe unless you have it, you know, in a big bank account or something. But a lot of people, if you didn't understand that it was all about relationship and you just thought it was something you could skip out on, um, you know, there's forgiveness and grace for that. And, and some people need to understand, like, how do you pay, how do you just take 10% of your income? And I understand that can be very, very difficult. And so uh, the practical things of getting a budget and getting out of debt are all tied to this as well. But I'm not doing a series on, 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 on living financially. You know, uh, We're going to do a class on that in the spring. But next week we're going to tidy up and do, cover a few more scriptures that talk on, on tithing and do a prayer uh, for healing. But right now uh, Aaron has some announcements. God bless you all.